0: What's going on, everybody? This is Matt from The Tangent. Today's episode is actually longer than 30 minutes. So if you are listening on the radio, you will hear the 30 minutes. However, you will have the opportunity to download it in full as a podcast later on. And I will remind you of that at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of The Tangent.
1: Welcome to The Tangent. I'm Father Sam Kachuba and joined today by Tony Vicinda. Now, I know Tony from the Catholic Beard Balm Company, and uh, Tony, I don't know unless the Franciscan Fires of the Renewal are recording a podcast today. We have the best beards
0: in the Catholic podcasting universe today. This is the best beard audio anybody can get uh, on on a, yes. on a on a on a day to day basis. So yeah, no, exactly. uh, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, super excited to sit down and talk to you. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much me. for for ju- jumping on. This is this is really fun. Um, well, let's let's start with the beard balm.
1: Uh, because first of all, what is beard bomb? Because for, for some of our, our listeners who
0: don't have the facial hair that we have, they, they might not know what we're talking about. Sure. Um, so beard bomb is essentially a leaving conditioner for beard. So, um, if you don't have a beard and you know what that is great, you're already, you're already getting good sense, but essentially, um, beard the, the hair on your face needs things just like the hair on your head does. Stay healthy and grow, uh, and uh, and beard balms are basically a set of oils or butters or waxes that you can rub in, uh, and that nourishes the hair. And more importantly, in all honesty, the skin underneath the hair uh, is a is a big part of what it does also too. But usually, they are uh, fragranced or perfumed. Um, you know, we see references in the Old Testament to people pouring uh, oil over their the hair of their head or the hair on their face. Um, specifically in the Psalms, we see a, a connection between uh, the hair running down in, from your head, and, sorry, the oil running down from your hair into your beard is equivalent to uh, the joy that one experiences in brotherhood. Right? It's right. there's a level of care and concern and re- relief uh, that it brings in when you are able to uh, to care for yourself in that way, especially after itchy times if you're out in the out in the desert or wherever. But that's the same kind of relief uh nourishment that we should expect from uh brotherhood and from fraternity uh but you know we started we started making beard balm we also then realized you know not everybody but has beards but um most people have lips and skin so we expand it out into lip balms uh we expanded out into lotion bars uh, we do beard oils we do kind of practical pro- products also too now like deodorant and other things like that along with Kind of little uh, small S sacramentals. Uh, our big goal is to help people live everyday holiness, just to get reminders of what it means to live your faith at these small moments during the day. Um, and so that's that's a lot of what went into the initial idea behind Catholic uh, Bombco, and yeah. we're going to continue to grow at this point in time. We're all about creating these internal sacramental reminders and these spontaneous moments of evangelization within your daily life. Nice. Uh, I love
1: it. Today I've, uh, I'm, I'm using Tilma. Uh, it's, this is one of my favorites. Um, I just love that, that smell. And I think that if, if I was to figure out the historically accurate way that St. Juan Diego smelled, it's definitely Tilma. Uh, yeah. I, just, I, love uh, it. I love the reminder. You're right. That reminder daily. Um, and that's yeah. so close on my face. It's great. Yeah.
0: Uh, Tilma's a really fun one. It was, uh, it was, I had uh, you know, I was, I was thinking a lot about what we're doing. And obviously, yeah, it's a Juan Diego reference. Every single time we build an aroma, we're telling the story of a saint. We're telling the story of a part of scripture. Again, we want to be something that you're taking in as a reminder for yourself, maybe as part of your daily prayer or reflection. But also, when someone asks you, like, what that smell is on the street, there's no more fun thing than to be able to be like, oh, it's this. and kind of break into the story. But um, rose is a huge element in that, right, uh, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, but uh, pedigrain, which is a type of wood um, that comes from orange trees, has this really kind of earthy aroma, but this kind of sweet citrus note to it also, too. Um, and we we always try to get oils that are from the region. Rose, it's a little bit harder because Rose absolute's super expensive, so we can't can't have a million different types of it, in, but we'll, we'll look around and we'll see if we can find like a pedigree from uh, citrus trees that would be within that region of Mexico um, and see if we can get those in order to use it. So we really try to tie things as much as possible to the place and the space that happened to, to give sensory yeah. engagement to be able to have that full story. Um, there's just a little bit there's a little bit of kind of sage and herb uh, on the back end of it. It's a really, really great aroma um, that a lot of guys like are like, oh, I don't know if I want anything too floral, but the earthy qualities of it and kind of the herbaceousness on the on the back end. Uh, are really clean and it's just, it's a really, really great oh, yeah. aroma that we've only done a couple of times, just a handful of times. We originally did that one to celebrate uh the Catholic creatives community. We're hosting a conference that we were going to and we made, you know, maybe, I think it was only like 40 tins to take with us. And then we made a little yeah. bit more the next year, but we haven't put it out a ton. So it's always, it's always really fun when somebody has Tomo oh. because it's not when we've released it. I'm glad a ton I got of. my
1: hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel really lucky now.
0: That's fantastic. So how, how do you make this stuff?
1: I mean, uh, the, the bomb itself, it, it's, each one has a slightly different consistency. I notice, um, some, yeah, it's all handmade, a little bit more so, grainy. Um, so yeah, a little bit smoother, you know?
0: Yeah. It it's all handmade. Into- it's all natural ingredients. Um, so there are inconsistencies. Like some people are like, Oh, like something's wrong with this one. I'm like, no, it's just, it's part of the way it's made. We don't use a large manufacturing facility. Everything yeah. I hand make, um, if I don't hand make it like one of our, you know, one of our team members do and by team members i usually mean my children uh you know uh, uh they're all teenagers now so they'll they'll pitch in and help out every once in a while and they have for the life of the company so sometimes you're like oh the sticker on this one was a little bit off center i was like well yeah my my four-year-old put it on right who's now uh, you know 14 years old and you know like the 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 uh because of that process because of the way that the seasons impact things and other things like that because uh, our bomb room gets very hot, so there's a, a screened window that's open a lot of time with a van pulling through. But during the winter, it's super cold in there, and so there's a heater going on the other end. But all those things affect the cooling range, and that means that sometimes things are a little bit greenier. Sometimes things are a little bit less greeny, but sometimes you get a batch of shea butter that just really wants to you know, uh, harden a certain way or other little things like that. So we, we're always kind of refining and seeing how, how we can get a little bit more consistency to what we do but really we we think about that kind of natural process is a huge part of what makes the product enjoyable i mean once you rub it between your hands right it all melts right it all right. it all melts exactly. and it goes on so so whatever the consistency in the tin is isn't particularly germane but you know like um I, it, it's weird to think about it now but like modernly in Catholicism, like we kind of all use the same host right the same raw materials for uh what well, you know, but, but historically you know even though the recipes would have been very similar hosts that were made locally at a nunnery or convent or other things like that right. would have had incons- inconsistencies from batch to batch to batch none of that affects the quality of the final product and and the tra- the ability to do transubstantiation uh, on those hosts that those yeah. inconsistencies in the material aren't germane to the efficacy of what it offers and though Obviously, uh, applying beard balm and the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ are not not on pale with each other. Um, it's still one of those things that we think about oftentimes, like the the work, like the work of our hands and the the act of work and prayer, the, the the tilling of the soil, the working of the earth, like the labor that we as human beings do to work out our salvation and bring Christ into the world. It looks different all the time like in every circumstance there's no one way it happens for everybody or to everybody every human experience is unique and non-repeatable and that happens because of the flow of time and the flow of the seasons that we as limited mortals are caught up in um that god is above so god's fidelity consistently is constant but every tin of catholic beard balm just like every single person is going to be a little bit different um, in the way that it comes out even on one tray like every once in a while i'll sometimes see like the tray that was super close to the window while it was cooling you know may be very smooth where we'll see a little bit of rippling on the tr- tens that far away so it's it can be very very granular but it's a very it's a very engaged natural process no big machines nothing else like that it's it's um it's a person me in a room that is about the size of a monk cell um making uh bombs and oils uh on you know in a traditional manner um you know uh week in, week out over the course of a year. I love it. So when you started Catholic Beard Bomb, um, it was because you
1: were already making your own bombs anyway, right? You were already doing this on your own?
0: Yeah, I had just kind of gotten into it uh like, you know, maybe six months before I'd started, you know, um just messing around with big male beard bombs. We were in Seattle at that point in time. We've moved to Philly since then. Um okay. and DIY culture was here, huge there. Hipster cred was huge and just kind of making my own my own Ah, uh, bombs for me, you know, and I'd give them to friends every once in a while if if I was out traveling and happened to have some extra. Um, and then we we were doing a series on the sacraments at my parish, and I really wanted to get some non-consecrated chrism in order to engage the sensory realities of it. And like I was doing it for adults and for third through fifth graders, and then I would teach baptism classes uh, and confirmation classes also. So mm. a couple of different ways to use it. But if I had gotten an ounce or two. That would have been more than sufficient for all of my needs for the year. Yeah, but, strong. Yeah, whenever you buy uh, the the essence of chrism that you use to then make chrism, whether you consecrate it or not, right. um, you have to buy enough to make three gallons. <laughs> 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 and So um, at that point in time, I was working with Project YM, uh, which does uh, work to support Catholic youth ministers all over the globe. It's a ministry I founded. Uh, with Michael Marchand, who still runs it to this day, and and I still get to go work with them every once in a while. I'm going to the National Catholic Youth Conference in Long Beach in a couple of weeks and doing nice. a doing a talk uh, there. But um, the uh, you know, I, we, we were we had the National Youth Youth Ministers Conference coming up, and. Like we would sell t-shirts and other stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? We 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 have a graphic designer. I'm gonna have him make some labels. I'm gonna print them out on. But I'm gonna I'm just gonna kind of put this together and I'm gonna take some two some chrism scented beard balm to the conference because I've got this extra chrism. It'll be great. We'll raise some money for our ministry. It'll be really enjoyable and fun. And I'll even make a couple other aromas. And my business partners were all like, universally like, no, don't do that. That's weird. No one, no one will want it. It's you're like, don't, don't do this. And I just ignored them and did it anyways. Um, Good move. yeah. And, uh, we showed up and had it in the booth and they were like, this is so we'll put it off to the side. It's fine. Like, and I just set up like a little, like I brought a, a couple combs and brushes with me and like set up on one of a little bistro table. Whenever, whenever folks with beards would come by, I would just like, I would, I would like, you know, um, I would perfume and balm their beard for them live there on site, uh, and comb it in. And, I don't know if folks come all by, but we sold out in four hours. Um,
1: That's
0: so like, cool. um, like I had spent weeks making a hundred tens of this stuff and we were gone in four hours. And so I came home, we bought more equipment, put it up on our website, kind of figured out, you know, like so like 50 or, or, you know, so dollars a week worth it, like five tens a week. And then one father's day, we just like put a sales funnel up, pumped up, you know, a little bit of money into Facebook ads back when it was the wild west of Facebook ads. And, uh, <laughs> Things just went like buck wild. We had, we had a $5,000 weekend leading up to Father's Day. And from that point on, things wow. just kept on growing and growing and growing um, until until these last couple of years, which, to be honest, is more about the state of the world than anything else. Um, but there's been a huge impact on us because of that. Um, you know, sure. uh, Supply chain issues this last year have been absolutely crazy. And that's led to some... Some big, some. If you want some exclusive scoops, I'll give you some exclusive scoops. There's yeah. been some big changes that we haven't even announced to our, our email list over the course of the last couple of months. Uh, but this was a really hard year for us because uh, we just couldn't have supplies. We were on this total upward trajectory for three or four years. Uh, Michael was able to go full time at Project William because we could underwrite his salary. Uh, my wife was able to work part time and stay home um, and help manage all the shipping side of things. Uh, I did a lot for us during that growth phase to help. Ah, uh, kind of reset and recenter our lives around what we really wanted to be doing and focused on and all the money we just put back into ministry work or buying supplies and um just really cool to see it grow and be able to support our ministry work and other ministries um over the course of about six years um as things just kind of grew and grew and grew. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's am- I mean that's amazing that that beard balm, These little tins of of stuff to yeah. to keep your beard looking okay and and in order. That it was doing all of that—that's oh, that's really remarkable. I love that it was it was in support of that that youth ministry effort too. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's no secret that youth ministry is is so essential to. I think everything that's going to happen in the life of the church right now, if if we don't have—I mean, youth,
0: it seems our, like some people don't know. It does seem yeah. like some people don't know that it's important. <laughs> that's it, a it good does, point. It does I mean, seem how- like some people should know it's more important than they think it is. Yeah. But
1: yeah. <laughs> how crazy do you have to be to, to not recognize the value of youth ministry? It's it's wild. I think but it it's hard because at the same time that we all see how important youth ministry is. I mean, right now I'm I'm seeing this in my own parish with uh the the post-pandemic effect is is just trying to remind people that this is a worthwhile thing to spend their time on. Um you have kids who lost they lost two years of of social life and and other activities, and they're making up for lost time in a big way. Yeah, uh, but it's it's hard to make youth ministry kind of that priority again. Um, but I like that that with uh, with Catholic Beard Bomb, you were able to to support that and to to help make that happen a little bit more more easily and to mm-hmm. facilitate that and provide resources so that other youth ministers around the country can can keep growing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and we, um, like, that was, for the, f- the first six years, that was 100% where it went. Over the last couple of years, we switched to a ministry called Eden Invitation as our primary uh, place that we're, we're kind of supporting, which is a phenomenal ministry. I ended up sitting on the board uh, for for a couple of years and still do some advisory work with uh, that helps support um, – LGBTQ Catholics with the authentic teachings of the church. And so it's a really phenomenal community of folks. Uh, They just moved to Minneapolis for their national headquarters. So they're up there near uh, St. Paul outreach and and help support them. But uh, Anna, Shannon, the whole team up there, just absolutely tremendous people. And they're doing some of the deepest spiritual work that's happening in the church today with a community that's just tremendously growing and absolutely beautiful that I've gotten to spend some time with. Yeah. Ah, uh, hear their stories and see some of the great stuff they're doing. So you know, we are oftentimes just looking for like, you know, there's a mix of what's close to our heart, um, but also what are those underserved areas of the church, and how can the work that we do continue to support and help those areas of the church grow um, and and uh, be better supported? Uh, since a lot of times the the core infrastructure of the church may or may not. Supporting those ministries or know how to engage with those ministries in the way that's most fruitful helpful. So it's kind of really close to my heart is kind of those those uh parts of the church that kind of find themselves in outlier moments, which you know youth ministry certainly has been for years and continues to be for some places. And then um, you know, how we deal with Catholics who have same-sex attraction or um people who are experiencing gender identity uh, dysphoria or discordance, like those are huge, uh, these are huge questions and how we honor, love, and cherish the members of our community um, in any of those groups is so huge. Um, and a lot of people aren't comfortable diving into any side of it. like no one, no one wants to talk about, no one wants to join volunteer for youth ministry uh, a lot of the time until they realize it's it's the best place in the church to be. Um, sure. And lots of churches have never figured out how to engage the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and
1: and how to approach how to approach the community with with a sense of of love and reverence while still teaching what the church teaches, um, I think that's that's mm-hmm. where yeah. so often people run up against the the problem. So uh, that was the Eden invitation you said, like yeah. the Garden of Eden. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's great. I've, I've not heard of it, so I appreciate you telling me about it. That's that's great. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing. Yeah, it's a ministry. really
0: killer ministry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Nice. Um, when you were. Uh, Oh, you I, I lost you for a second there
1: oh I'm sorry when you were bombing people's beards at the youth ministry convention yeah. and and showing them like the the, the product um, as a man with a beard has your experience been that you can pretty much talk to any man who has a beard about his beard without it being super yeah. weird?
0: like beard beard talk is pretty normal like it is one of the few areas that that men feel very comfortable complimenting another man uh on their physical appearance i find um uh it's um and there's even just like the head nod of like two bearded guys as they cross <laughs> yes. each other uh on the street very commonly um and yeah like it's it's also it's also very interesting right like the um to put yourself in kind of an intimate face-to-face position with somebody while you're doing that, especially somebody who you potentially never met, um, was really, but, you know, it's just like, Hey, can I, can I, can I touch your beard? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Go ahead. (laughs) Like, you know, um, was it, was a pretty easy conversation that nobody, nobody like seemed to second guess or question. Yeah. Have you had people who just come up and touch your face without, without even saying anything? They just wanted to see what the
1: beard feels like.
0: Yeah, it's pretty weird to have him not say anything, but it does happen every once in a while. Not yeah. okay, not in the last couple of years, but historically, yeah, it was not an uncommon thing. Uh, but I also have a lot of friends who just know me and we aren't around each other a lot. So then when they'll see me, they're like, like can I just, like I said, okay, if I touch your just, yeah, just sure, go talk, ahead. Yeah. Like, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah, it's not an uncommon thing. That's awesome. I also find uh, if
1: I do baptisms or just have the chance to hold a baby, like my, my goddaughter is going to be a year old, and uh, she and her mom had stopped by the parish to, to visit recently, and um, I was I was holding her, and, and about an hour later, her mom texted me and said, why does my daughter smell like chrism? <laughs> so I had chrism beard oil in. Yeah. It was because her daughter, like every time every time I hold it, she reaches up and she grabs the beard grabs and she likes into to pull it. on it and-, and yeah just it's a it's a target for her. yep um <laughs> that's great so with with the uh catholic beard Bomb, you also had the nazirite challenge um
0: yeah is, is that still going on so this is the first year that essentially like we're not doing anything for the nazirite challenge in okay. four years uh and it's also it's hard like somebody even today was like so are we not doing anything this year and it's hard because it's like nothing about the challenge actually requires me to make content but there's a lot of expectation because. Of the way we've always done it and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger uh that um that we that we're always going to release content for it and even last year it was pretty light um you know we just did a couple of videos over the course of the month a couple of live streams quick conversations um but um a, a big part of it is a couple of different things A couple of really great things right and i think these are things for uh you know it might be hard to see, for some people to be like well why would you get on and brag about things getting smaller but for the last three or four years we've seen less and less engagement um, as far as people signing up but a lot of people are already in the in the facebook group or they're already on the email so they just they assume they're naturally just going to get information about it and we really try to track pretty closely who who's engaging in things i'm a big fan of like you invest your time where you see God doing the most fruitful work, and the first year of Nazarite Challenge was just absolutely crazy. Guys getting into this this Facebook group, which was kind of a last-minute call to add on to the the email process, sharing vulnerably and intimately, like who they were, like where they were at, what their struggles were, it was just absolutely tremendously mind-blowing to see the vulnerability that a lot of these men were coming in and just trying to experience fraternity, even online. Yeah, I uh, with each other. Some of the I witness heard. work.
1: The first time I saw anything about the Nazarite challenge, it struck me as like we're in this in this group. They're going to try to sanctify No Shave November, right? <laughs> let's let's take it to yeah. a, to a new level. So go ahead, don't shave, but we're going to remind you of it, it's not just right. about the fact that you can grow a beard. That's great. Right. This is yeah. also going to be bringing it into a biblical context and understanding what the Nazarites would have done that the Nazarite yeah. would, would not shave as, as a sign as a, as a almost penance, almost
0: a penance. Although yeah. And we, and we, and we, and found and we had not having a beard, not a penance at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we had things like November, right. That were like, you know, or no shave November that people were using to focus on physical health. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, be holistic. Like, let's talk about your spiritual life alongside that. Or if you're not doing that, let's engage in that. Uh, but yeah, this is the first year. Um, and we're hoping it's just a one year pause uh, that we're not doing anything. A big part of it is like right now, um, I'm sure so Catholic bomb code just got bought by another company, um, which I I'm still I'm still running it. Like nothing will change as far as most customers uh, know. But uh supply chain was horrible this year. Like we ended up out of product a number of times and unable to restock for a number of reasons, which is it's my livelihood now. So I ended up having to figure out how we were paying the bills a couple of <laughs> different times on on given months um but there's a lot of providence in the way that uh when i told our shipping partner um uh it was run by a, a great a great guy court abel um who runs a catholic men's group out in harrisburg also too um that we were thinking about uh selling it uh just because like i was gonna potentially have to go find other work and love the ministry but like was was wondering if somebody else could be a better steward of it at this point in time so that i could just and he was like he's been been trying to hire me for years to come work for him so he basically was like what if i just bought it uh and what if she just came working for me running it and doing some other stuff for the broader company also too and so um that, that happened a couple of months ago, uh, so I shifted over to being uh, a team member for them, and uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, the director of business development, whatever that means. But a big part of that is running in-house brands, and so that means the two brands that they bought from me, um, Catholic Bomb Co., and then we, we have a, a tabletop gaming company also, too, um, are, uh, are now part of the organization. We were able to use um, their infrastructure to help overcome some of the supply chain issues, so... This month really is getting everything back on track. It's uh it's getting uh, all the supplies in that we weren't able to get in this year because now we could order them overseas in big enough bulk to make sense of it. Um, and get everything back to stock over the course of the next month is the goal. And so my Nazarite challenge literally practically is I've got to get everything back up to up to par this year. But like I'm still doing the prayers, like I'm still doing the challenges. Um, you know, like I said, somebody in the group is like, Are we not doing it this year? It's like, yeah, do it. Like I'm not going to be able to create content this year because I'm I'm swamped with all the other parts of the merger and this other piece, which is a very normal human thing. Like again, like I I we so oftentimes get caught up. And one of the things I love about CBC, like it's Catholic Bombco, is such a human thing. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a skin and hair care product, which I know a lot of people see as a vanity thing, um, but the reality is like taking care of ourselves presenting ourselves well reminding ourselves of our spiritual life remembering our humanity like um those types of things are core to who what the work that we do at cbc and so just being in the very human moment of i literally have to just focus on getting these things back to where they need to be. And there is an intense focus on that because it's already happening. People are like, well, you're out of stock of this. You're out of stock of that. I wanted to get it for Christmas. I want to like, all of which is wonderful. Right. Um, And all of which is kind of the core of what we do. Um, And so a big part of, of, of our process is like, you know, work and prayer. And so like, I'll be working and praying for the next month to get everything back up to stock, but I won't be able to, together the con the content or the guidebooks, or other pieces like that as as a result of that and so but the guys in the group were already like you know a lot of them are already like here's what i'm doing like here's here's my commitments for the month here's what's just on their own because they're folks who have been doing it for three or four years and they know no matter what changes as far as content or structure or anything else like that like the core of the Nazarite challenge is just the core promises that we make to each other right uh, to stop shaving to enter into a deeper life of prayer to enter into fraternity to share our faith with others and to live a courageous life like those are the things that we want men to focus on during this time of year um and we want to focus on it all year long but during this time of year there's a renewed emphasis on that none of that requires to send out a weekly video or email to you. Now that's all good stuff, but like we can just do it. But the other major reason I, I think we saw kind of a, a decline in some of it was the rise of just a ton of really great men's ministry work that was happening. When we started Nazirite Challenge, uh like Exodus 90 didn't exist, you know, like um and and not to say like that we had any role in that, though I do know Nathan and the team over there, and they are they are users of you know uh Catholic Catholic uh bombco's products and really tremendous folks who we've loved working with. Um, and uh, and so, you know, like, we are really happy when people are like looking at, hey, like, how am I growing as a man? How am I growing in my faith life? And there have been so many more opportunities for that now in a way that for decades in the church, there really were not a lot of consistent ways for men to grow in their faith and holiness. And um, as much as, there's all the tensions around, like you know, like uh, people feeling like, well, men have such power in the church. Yeah, but like if you've ever worked in a parish office, like they are they they are dominated by women. Uh, I'm the I'm <laughs> like, the only one in my parish office. I'm the only right. man there. Like my and so, and guy and me. Yeah. You know? And and it's and it's not an attempt to pit the genders against each other, but it, it is the fact that, like you know, even as somebody who who was working at a parish for years and ran. Men's ministry it was always like, you know, well, like, where's the women's ministry it was like, I was like, tell me when y'all would like to meet and give me a point person and I will give you a budget and all the things you need to be able to do the exact kind of stuff that we do for men's men's nights and men's ministry for women. But a lot of times it was like, well, like all the people who coordinate all the other things are so busy already. And I'm like, I get that. But like the reality is we don't have a ton of ministries that are really attractive to men nowadays. And and it's not to denigrate the Knights of Columbus because I'm a knight, uh, and it's not to say there's anything wrong with men's clubs um, because I've been a part of a number of men's clubs, but things that are really attractive to men as far as fraternity and other elements like that go are oftentimes missing in the church or target a very specific subset of groups or have a lot to enter into and men don't know if that's something they want or that they're ready for. Um, You know, Nazarite Challenge is a great, easy entry point. Exodus 90 is a great Easy entry point. Uh, things like uh, Christ Renews His parish retreats, uh, men's Bible studies. These are great entry points that actually have a strong spiritual focus. And we're starting to see a little bit of a renewal of that um, in parish life over the course of the last few years. Um, and so it's it's kind of figuring out that that new normal, that resolved tension. And so, yeah. um, like as much as we're kind of taking a year to kind of step back and say, you know, this year we can't. Uh, my hope is that we're going to be back next year, stronger than ever doing yeah. even more because we've also, um, moved into this larger company that gives us the freedom to support and grow things in a totally different way than we were able to before. And so like God's fidelity and purpose. And a lot of that is good. It's, it's, it, I was always somebody who in parish ministry, um, when I, when I worked in churches, cause I did for 20 years, um, the, People would say, "Oh, we've, we've got to do this because we've all, program. You know this. We've got to do this program because we've always done it." Or, "Uh, like I'm really we, glad you're talking about that." <laughs> no, no, because <laughs> as as you were describing, like the Nazarite challenge, kind
1: of taking a break and going on pause because it's been going for a while, but right now your particular moment in life doesn't allow you to make new content, doesn't allow you to yeah. really engage with it too much. But it's something that can happen without the the formal structure being there. Right. Um, and, and then you're, you're talking about these these different groups that have existed o- over time, but sometimes they they don't last, or they're, they're not attracting n- new members, or they're, they're some, just not quite meeting the need anymore. I think we, we get into the habit of, in the church, thinking that because this thing has always been here, because our parish has always done this event, because we've always had this, uh, this particular group that meets, we have to always have it, uh, but... There's nobody interested anymore except for the same four people who have been doing it for the last 30 years, and they're frustrated that nobody new has joined, uh, and that most of their members are dead or are have just lost interest otherwise. I admire so much the ability to say, with this ministry, with this thing that we've done that's been so good— it's time for it to just take a rest. It doesn't mean it's right. gone forever. It just means I'm, I'm willing to let it rest for a little while before we see where, where God wants it to go. I think that is such an important mentality to be able to have. I really
0: appreciate that you're talking about it. And it's not our seventh year of Nazarite challenge, but like it's our seventh year of Catholic bomb Co. And that's, that's a year biblically that like you let the land lie fallow. Like you, you do the pause, you let yeah. nature kind of approach back and you let God do his work in a space and then you come back in and you say, "Okay, God, now that you have claimed the space for yourself, that you've restored it, like where what do you want us to do with it now? Uh, and and you come back in and you start to re-envision the purposes that God has given you for it. So like there's a huge level of that. And I, and I've also like I operated in parish ministry and it used to it drove some of my priests nuts uh, that like I'm not going to strong arm people into volunteering for something. If we can't, if we don't see people responding to a need, we have to identify is that need actually a calling for our parish like should we actually be doing that? It's the same thing for for catholic Bombco, even though it's it's a for-profit company like it is ministry-minded we have to constantly ask ourselves is this the thing right now that we are called to what are we doing with it next how are we continuing to grow and change and move within that um you know and it's been interesting just like i said this year that's been very very sparse and we've had to just take things slow just due to the nature of things and there's been a lot of transition to have that time have that space um but every time i've tried to say hey does anybody want to help with Nazarite challenge we've got people who are like i'll write an article or like i'll hop on a video or patrick uh nevy who's a great friend of mine great parish minister over on the other side of PA, uh, has done a lot of work with me over the last couple of years on it. And, you know, I put it, could have potentially gone to Pat, but like, it's very hard to just put that on somebody who, in the, who's in the middle of all the other stuff they're doing and be like, I need you to do this. Cause I can't, or, you know, um, do we just choose to say, Hey, if this isn't a good fit or good time right now, it's fine to take a year off, you know? Um, and, and if people are upset, that means one of two things, one, like, Hey, we may have been doing good work two, Like, are you as you as an individual who is upset that this isn't happening? Do you have a call to help with this in a more intensive way? Um, if so, let's talk about how we empower you into that. Um, or are you just engaging this in a weird consumeristic model at which that's not healthy and we need to have a conversation about what this thing has become, and maybe that means we need to cut it off because maybe it's become something that you just do because it makes you feel like you've done the holy thing without actually doing the work you need to be transformative. I know. Yeah. on week five of, of Nazarite challenge uh, on when we do the fifth, the fifth element, which is to, to courageously share your faith as noisy as it's been in the room until that point it hits, we hit crickets on week five, right? Sometimes it's because <laughs> we're like, well, November's done, right? Like it's just, it's the first week of December, right? Like we're entering into Advent, like we're entering into a, a time of, of preparing for the Lord to enter more deeply. The world itself is going to pause and pay more attention to the person of Jesus during these next four weeks. Even if they're not doing it directly, this is a great time to talk about and prepare your faith. But yeah. but when we ask for stories of it, just like we ask for stories of the other things, it's tremendously quieter because we still, as as a Catholic culture, are not living out that aspect of our faith well. And so for me, looking at some of those things, like if the end if the end goal is for us to help people live their spirituality more every day in this very authentic way, in this way that lets them evangelize and share and have natural conversations about who Jesus is and who Christ is in their life and how they've been transformed by the graces of his church, then we need to make sure that's actually happening. And I know that culturally we struggle with it as Catholics, but you know, we, we aren't seen and haven't been seen that part ever really take hold. We get stories here or there and there's, they're all like every story we get to win. Like, I, you know, it's not a big deal, but like, that's always the part where the men of the church have struggled. It's a part of the reason why we continue to struggle as men in the church um, is because yeah. we don't know how sometimes just to say, because here's what, here's what would be a big one for me. Even when we hit the week five, Tony, I just don't know how to do that. Like I'm, I'm afraid of saying something to, the, to my coworker, i am uh, intimidated by mentioning something on the street i have a hard time with it my dad who who i love my dad is not an evangelist uh he's he's deeply fatal He's had this huge spiritual awakening this last year really discovering who the holy spirit is and what it means uh for the mother of god mary to love us as her children uh just really tremendous thing something i've hoped for for my dad for decades and he called me one day in tears just. Talking to me about these things, that he knew I would understand, and he didn't know who else to call. And it's like, what a gift for a son uh, to have their their father call them that way. That's um, awesome. but like you know, for him, his his voice. This is this is dumb simple, but his voicemail for years uh, on his cell phone at work has been, "And may God bless your day." After he does his normal things, he got called out on it at work one time, and they wanted him to change it. Um, and like I was joking, like, "Oh, you should change it to like." Uh- <laughs> May the God of, of your fathers and your forefathers continue to bless you on this day. Uh, and then if anybody, anybody who doesn't know, that's a deeper call out. Uh, you can just be like, oh, whatever, whatever God, their fathers and forefathers. So, uh, but like, um, uh, like he, he refused to like, and he was like, he was like, do you think I should have? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I would have refused to also. That's a weird, it's a weird <laughs> request. Um, it's It was, it's not a big deal until they made it a big deal. Right. Uh, so my dad's not an evangelist, but like for him that was his way of letting people know his faith was important to him. And it was a very small thing. Yeah. Small, so choices like that, yeah. Yeah. small choices like that. Every day evangelization. Yeah. Small choices like that start to cascade, especially when you're called to draw a line in the sand and say, well, we want you to change and say, no. And like, yeah. I'd rather quit than, than make this change because it's, it's inappropriate for you to ask me to make this change. Right. Um, yeah. Like, and, and we live, and again, I, I, I'm never the kind of person who like, I'm not the kind of person who buys into a lot of the narrative of the Catholic Church being persecuted. I think the Catholic Church was actually designed to thrive in a pluralistic society. When we look at the the strength of the church, it always has thrived in pluralistic societies and Christ has been proclaimed better. Modern American ideals oftentimes are like, well, we're losing our what I was like, but we're losing our way because we have lost our way. Like we're losing our cultural pride of place because we have lost who we are. And who we are was never intended to be the most powerful in the realm, it was to be the weakest and the least of these, right? That yeah. that we are God's beloved and that's where we live. And that is where we operate out of. And I think the church is, church is at its best when it returns to that space. And I think we should take this as yeah. an opportunity just to return to that space and look at these small ways, this this almost guerrilla warfare way of thinking about how we are loving other people and caring for other people and letting the light and beauty of Christ shine through. So many churches during the pandemic, when everything shut down, were feeding even more families than they normally did. We're doing this tremendous work in their community to care for people, to care for people who all of a sudden found themselves without. And we didn't do it for accolade, right? But the reality is we do it because it's who we are. And we we find these moments of struggle is where we can truly identify what it means to be with and in christ in those spaces and and that's great and that's that's all i want men to be doing i think they'll oftentimes think like like as somebody who who gets up and preaches the krigma regularly in front of crowds when there were crowds to stand in front of um and who has regular conversations over coffee and beer and other things with people just in my neighborhood about who Jesus is and why they're important or who spends week in week out hanging out in, uh, in queer communities that are um, in the LGBT and LGBTQ spaces uh, with the games work that I do, because the vast majority of people I spend my time with in that are not Catholic. Um, they, they tend to identify as gender diverse and same sex and have same sex experiences uh, of attraction. And there are some of my favorite people and they care for me and I care for them. And people are like, How do you manage that? I was like, I show up and I love them in week out and they know who I am and they know what I'm about and they know I'm not not here for anything other than to, to be with them and care for them and to let them care for me in the places that I need them to. And there's a lot of beauty that comes when we're able to step into those places and really let ourselves be challenged by the depths of the waters that God wants us to swim in rather than the safety of our small Catholic kind of harbors that we get so used to. And I think men are uniquely equipped to go out and do that work, but we've tremendously lost our way. And again, lots of times we don't have parishes and organizations feeding us, but we're starting to see more of a renaissance uh, in that. And I'm I'm just so excited for what God's doing in this next phase of church, especially in in the hearts of the men of our community. So
1: there's a couple of things that you're bringing up here that now have the wheels turn in my head. Uh, so on, on the one hand, there's that that everyday evangelization—the small things that anyone can do in their ordinary circumstances in the in the work that they do, whether it's formally uh, ecclesial ministry. So I, I work for the church, or if you've got your own your own business, or you're just going to the office, whatever it is. Like there's there's those simple ways that you can evangelize, and that I, I think you're right. There there is something that men are equipped to bring the gospel into spaces that normally wouldn't hear the gospel. Like you wouldn't expect uh, in a, uh, in a tabletop gaming discussion uh, for there to be much talk about the Catholic faith. I mean, at least I wouldn't, I'm
0: not, I don't do tabletop gaming. There, there's, there's so, a lot of background stuff in Dungeons and Dragons and other RPGs oh, that okay. have to do with faith religion other stuff like that, but not explicitly, right? You don't have to yeah. do any of that. It's not, it's not necessarily the norm in board games and other stuff even less so there again, there's a lot of people in that community who do it. Uh, but, um, yeah, religious themes. I mean, like the, Western world lives in religious themes.
1: Yeah, I grew up around folk music. Uh, my, my dad's a folk musician. And so growing up, going into folk festivals and stuff, I mean, I always said I met some of the most interesting people. And, and interesting can be a euphemism for for strange. It can be a <laughs> euphemism for genuinely the most interesting people ever. But you, you end up in this world that isn't explicitly religious, but where there's a, a genuine sense of, of family, a sense of togetherness, a sense of justice, uh, and there's a space that there, there's a space there to bring the faith. There's a space there to, to speak about about the gospel uh, and to to introduce people. Now, I was a kid growing up in it, so I didn't really understand uh, that there was a space, nor did I really understand that there was any reason to integrate it. But then you're also talking about the the sort of consumer mentality that we can have towards our parishes, towards towards the church. Uh, I just kind of want this thing provided for me, and that's why I go because I, I'm getting something. It's not so much because I really feel called into it. Like, So I want this thing to happen, this event to happen annually because I like it, because I enjoy going, because my kids like it or something. Not because I feel God has led me to this or right. – um, I want it to happen, not because I feel led to do it, like God has inspired something in my heart to make this happen, but I I want it to happen. All right. So there's that consumer mentality that I think we really need to to work on. How do we bring these these things together? On the one hand, that consumer mentality that kind of gives us a a free pass, if the church writ large isn't doing the thing that I want them to do, uh, and I don't feel a particular call to do it, I can just kind of give myself the excuse to walk away and not do anything. Um, but then precisely, I think if, if we're looking at where where do we hear the most, uh, I don't know if discussion is the right word, because I don't know if there's actually discussion happening, but where do we hear the, the biggest critique of the Catholic church? It's precisely in relation to the LGBTQ community. It's, it's right there, you're going to hear people say, well, the, the church doesn't want anything to do with them, and so I don't want anything to do with the church. But what you're describing is an active evangelization and an active charity, not in the, not in the way that we think of charity so often being like soup kitchens and shelters, but genuine charity of, of fellowship, fraternity, presence, and the ultimate charity, like the greatest charity that we can give to anybody is to share the gospel with them, share the good news of, of Christ's mercy and love. Yeah. And it's, how do it's, we as a church communicate becomes, that that's what we're going for, that that's what we're trying to do is
0: <laughs> like, well, and it's, it's hard, like, fix right? all the problems of the church for me yeah. Tony, real quick. I mean, like, I, I mean, it's really funny, like in, in, uh, in the leftist circles, right. Which I'm, I'm not a leftist, but I spend a lot of time in leftist circles. Um, <laughs> And leftist circles, the enemy is always capitalism. Um, in church circles, the enemy is almost always clericalism. Um, uh, like in the modern, in the modern age, we have we have reduced church to parish life. Uh, yeah. we do reduce the parish to the parish grounds, as opposed to what it properly is, the region of the world in which we we the the believers have been inserted to speak in my language. Right, like to care for and to bring about uh, the beauty of God within the neighborhood of humanity that we are called to serve. Like those are the that's like getting getting the laity to understand like that this is this is our mission, right? Like that that actually properly like if anyone's concerned about what happens on parish grounds. Like it should be it should be the priest, right? Like if we're talking about parish Grounds as the church property, yeah. right? Like because the priest should be responsible for ordering the holy, right? Like organizing, supporting, feeding so that so that lay people and 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 you know uh clerics can go out and and serve the wider community. We become we've become so insular and like, you know, if we know that if we know that in crevasse, right, to turn inward is a way that we talk about sin, like man, we have become so turned inward outside, yeah. of, outside of political action. And this is not to say that our faith should not in, influence our politics. It, it absolutely should. But if that's the only way that our faith is influencing our external lives, we've got a significant problem because then we'll start to identify our politics as their faith, and our faith is our politics, and those things overlap but are not perfectly synonymous with one another. Um, the, the reality is we have to look at other ways in which we are constantly turning out And facing out and serving our community and 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 it's 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 a horrible language to use but the church is filled with horrible language that is tremendously accurate in a disinterested (laughs) way like in a disinterested way in a way that is not attached to the outcomes for the other i don't love any of my my friends that i play games with so that i can get them to become catholic right Um, if any of them ever did it would it would blow my mind right um, i love them because i'm called to love them that's it what whatever god does with that he does with it and and mm-hmm. and if it's just them knowing that there's somebody who's catholic who cares about them who desires what is best for them who loves them who will support them who will see them who will create this this space of trust then if, if that is what what god wants to do with that and if that's all god wants to do with that then i need to be as an individual satisfied that that is what god wants to do with it i need to do the things that God has put on my heart to and with my community of, of care and concern and not be attached to specific outcomes within that. And, I mean we watch yeah. we watch this with parents and children we watch this with with uh, parishioners and each other. We watch this with with siblings, right? Like learning to step back and say like my job is to love you knowing that love is transformative, right? Like knowing that love changes people and not that it changes you in a way that necessarily i am conceiving that it will but that god has in mind to help you grow into the fullest and most perfect version of yourself like we have to be able to step into those spaces Um, and as as an institution we've got so bad at it we want to come in with an intellectual or moral proposition as the primary it's disincarnate from the the whole reality of who the person of jesus is which is I know that by being with you, I know that by loving you, it will change you. And I know that I will suffer for that love. Right? Like I will suffer, yeah, uh, for that love, and and in a way that I don't desire you to suffer. I will suffer for that love in ways that maybe the suffering might be more proper to you. I will take it on myself. Like I will sacrifice. And and here's the deal: if you never change, I will still have sacrificed. For you. I will still have loved you. The change is not, change of the other is not the demand. The the transformation of my own heart and the act of loving somebody is what the gospel demands. And, And we really struggle with this all of this because we've become so institutional. We've become so turned inward. And because we don't have good processes for helping people discover what is the unique calling that God has placed upon your heart, what is the unique, non-repeatable ways that he has gifted you to serve others, to love others, to care for the community, to grow the church, because it's not about, it's not about increasing membership, right? Like, And, and we know, matter of like that's an outcome that happens when the gospel is proclaimed, when people are living on fire in the way that God desires to. We know that, that congregations will swell and all these other things. And if they're not, guess what? We're not doing it. Like, but that's not the focus. The focus is to live passionately the unique gifts. But parishes are not oftentimes set up like I. So I, I spent years, and and I'm just on again on hiatus right now from like I'm on hiatus from a lot of things. Um, working with the Catherine of CNN Institute, which does the called and gifted program, which really helps people identify and learn how to discern what are your unique gifts. For building up the kingdom, uh, I, I get mm-hmm. to sit with people and do interviews with them, and I'll get back to it in the new year. But we're on a we're on about an eight month break right now. Um, uh, sitting with them and helping them discern what their gifts and their charisms are, and people will be like, "Well, just tell me like what you think mine is." Like, that's not how this works at all. Like, I mean, like, but it's so much I, easier if my, you just tell my me. My gifts it's are so pretty good at actually that way, right? <laughs> my gifts are pretty good at actually helping me quickly discern what I think they are. But like, if I put that on you, then you're going to start operating in that mindset, and I could just be wrong because I don't yeah. know your internal lived experience. Yeah. And so, it's much better if I can actually help you to understand what is the discernment process, right? Like, wh- how do you know? It? And it's it's not, it's it's ostensibly not that complicated, but it does take work and it does take time to start to discern this. And and I, I will oftentimes talk about discernment as one of the most essential and the least utilized skills of church. Cause cause like many things, we've reduced discernment to the thing that priests do or more properly that seminarians do as they're becoming priests, or we might extend it to when you're preparing to get married. Um, are you discerning? this Like we, we will talk about it in the, you know, the orders, the, the sacraments for the common good, but we don't, sure. we don't talk about it as a daily activity. We don't yeah. teach it to adults or children, which children can learn how to do this. Um, and and we really suffer because we limit it to these very specific aspects of the life of faith, as opposed to saying like most of what we should be doing is just regular discernment every single day and prayer with God. Yeah. And if we did that, things would be a lot better.
1: Yeah, there's a proper place for for discernment. Uh, obviously, vocational discernment needs its right. needs its own special focus, and then there is that that everyday discernment, and it doesn't need to be. Uh, radicalized, I guess, to, to be like I have to discern absolutely every single thing that I do. Which what what do I do? Do I take the fork out first or the knife?
0: Right. Uh, like it doesn't need to be quite Steak that. Steak um, or fish do. tonight, right? Yeah. Like which one are we doing? And it's, so it's
1: pretty easy to discern those things without really entering into any time of, of particular prayer, but to discern, yeah, spiritual gifts, personal gifts, uh to discern the way in which I'm gonna I'm gonna be part of my of my parish and the way that I'm going to do something. Because I think you're right, we so easily get to uh, sort of the professional class within the church. Um, I, I always be. I think because I'm a priest, I tend to push back a little bit on clericalism being di- solely directed at priests. I think clericalism has become a thing oh, that, that's actually
0: uh, present in the office. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We. Like, I would say beyond the office, the yeah. way that most lay people consider getting engaged is: I'll become a lector, I'll become an extraordinary member of the right. of and, Holy communion, I'll do a liturgical thing. That's a clericalization of the laity. Right. It is not proper to the laity; it's proper to clerics. But we look at those things as the best ways to be involved, rather than teaching, preaching, proclaiming the gospel on and off the the uh, on and off church property, serving the serving yeah. the poor and the hungry, going out and finding the members of the community that you uniquely resonate and connect with, um, using your God given abilities and talents as well as your human skills to continue to help build things up very clearly in a way that proclaims you are Catholic. Like nobody, like the, the games company I run is not, it's not Catholic. Um, but like, there is not a single person who we work with who is not aware that I am Catholic. I mean, there may be some here or there, right? Like, it's not like it's everything. It's not like I start off every single stream we do or every single publication has a for in the beginning, but it it is, it is, there's never a bait and switch at any point in time, Right. right? Like it's a very open part of who I am. And, you know, some people are like, Oh, well, why, like, why are you so different than everybody else who I talk to? Like, I don't get along with a lot of these Christians, but I, I I love spending time with you. They're like, it just seems like you kind of keep your, your faith on the down low. I was like, and and honestly, I think it's, it's the opposite, right? Like my faith is so much a part of every single thing that I do, um, that it, it doesn't offend you because it doesn't feel like I'm turning into a weapon at any point against you, or that I'm trying to only apply it, in certain circumstances to get something that I want. Like it is constantly something that drives me to the point where you don't notice it because it is every single part of who I am. Yeah. I think the world
1: expects us to come at them. Like the world is expecting anybody who's a religious believer to just be on the attack all the time. And so they're, they're kind of expecting that we're, we're coming in with, with our fists up and just, just ready to start pummeling their, their ideas, their agendas, whatever it might be. And, the Catholic position is is actually to come in and say, "Hi, it's nice to meet you." Right, it's, right. It's a it's a totally different approach, and and we we want to be there. I, I think about like the uh, the Jesuit martyrs of North America, right? And their their whole goal was to go in, and we want to go and meet the people uh, out there, the the native tribes. We want to go and meet them, we want to learn their culture. We want to learn their language. Um, we want to know something about them before we start preaching the gospel to them. We need to know who they are we're going to do what we do we're going to live our our faith we're going to pray but we need to know something about them and so we're not coming in exclusively to this we're going to we're going to learn the culture we're going to learn the language we're going to learn how to communicate to them right well we need to do that today but the world kind of I find where, where I, I feel the most pushback is, is the world kind of expecting me to be judgmental and angry and to, to be shoving them in one direction or another. I told this story recently that I was going into a deli to buy a sandwich, and as, as I got to the door, this woman was coming out, and she stopped, and she looked at me, and she just kind of took this step back and said, I always, I always freak out when I see priests. And I said, okay. She said, I feel like you know something about me. Hi, I'm Father Sam. I don't know anything about you. you know?
0: It was just this. this like, moment. I know, like, I know, I know God loves you. Like that. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah. Like, I,
1: but the, I, I felt in that moment like I felt her fear that that ah. somehow I was going to attack, or somehow I was gonna, um, I was gonna be displeased with her, and I was gonna judge her for something. And of course, I had nothing to judge. I don't, I don't know anything about her, but. I feel sometimes like that's where the that's where I kind of encounter the world pushing or kind of the assumption that if that's that's all all that we care about. The yeah. other thing that I notice a lot is people who want to be engaged, people who want to get out and share their faith. Um, number one, they often feel ill-equipped. They just don't know what to do. They don't know how to go out and be an authentic witness. But they, want, if they start trying, if they've heard that challenge, like you can share the gospel, you can be one who's who's a a, a proclaimer of the kerygma, you can go out and do this. They start trying it, and they they kind of take those baby steps, and they 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 start trying. But then it'll come back to, uh, it'll it'll come back to. How do I invite people to to the church? Because every time I talk about my faith and what it matters, uh, everybody says, "Well, I don't like going to church because mass is boring," or "I don't like that father does this," or that the the church looks this way, or or whatever it might be, and then they feel stuck. What what do I say next? what What's the what's the next move? Um, and I think that's just that's the natural progression of things. You you learn um, gradually, stage by stage, but I, I find that that initial. Encouragement to go out—that—that that initial encouragement, like you have the capacity to preach the gospel—is often the hardest one for people to internalize. Have you found that? And, and what do you say? And how do you help people to to move beyond yeah.
0: that? Again, I think a big, a couple of things. Like, and it, it's—it sounds really weird. Like, we're all called to proclaim the gospel, and and I will, I will not even deign to misquote, uh, to uh, misquote Saint Francis and and poorly attribute things to him. Oh, thank you, because uh, so it's <laughs> such such a bad thing to do. But here's the deal charismatic proclamation is not the only form of evangelization preaching explicit preaching of the gospel and the redemptive reality of Jesus Christ has to be done in the life in the life of a disciple and for them to be able to receive that it is not what everyone is good at it is not what everyone is called to do and so knowing specifically like what is the evangelizing capacity that your gifts give you um, Because maybe, maybe that's not it, right? Like maybe you're called to create your home as a space where people who would never darken the door feel, just, just feel comfortable coming until they start to ask themselves. Cause this is a question I've been asked so many times in my life as a disciple, Tony, what makes you different, right? Like constantly had people who are far from God ask me, why do they feel comfortable around me? Why do I have a relationship with God and they don't, why? um, why I operate the way I do, why I, why I give up things I do, why I sacrifice like all, like why, why are you different is the way that has been articulated over and over and over again to me. Mm. Um, and here's the thing I'm, I'm, I am uh, a mediocre pro- 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 proclaimer of the charisma at best. Like I know, I know it very well, but like, it's not actually like, I am not, uh, my charisms are not direct evangelization. Um, my, my charisms have to do, with the practical realities of how we engage with a life in Christ, and being able to sit down with somebody mm-hmm. one-on-one and walk through the beauty and the terror and the the wonder and the awe and everything that they might be experiencing about who God is and what it might mean if the God that we believe in is the God of the universe, um, and help them process that in a way that is accessible. People who who have trauma, who need release, who are seeking to know if they can do this. Um, that is where where the personal genius that God has given me lets me evangelize people. That's not the same as being up on a stage. I, mean, I, I can get up on a stage and, and make it work, right? But when I when I do parish missions, when I go out and talk, um, they are far more like a workshop than they're like a keynote um, yeah. because it's the practical doing of things that that drives me that that I'm good at. It's the processing through things with people, leading them and helping them track through what might God be doing in your life right now, and helping them discern that on their own. Um, helping them suspend their disbelief and and open up to the possibility of God's existence in very practical ways. Those are all the types of things that I do. In addition to just praying with and for people, it tends to be a very powerful ingress and. When I ask people typically who are not people of faith if they would be comfortable if I prayed for them or with them over what they're suffering through, I I think I've been told no twice, and I very rarely am talking to other Catholics. I pray with other Catholics all, all the time also, too. Sure. But because people will say, like, I mean, one of my favorite people, Brian Gavados, who um, I used to do run a podcast where I would talk to people who were Catholics and non-Catholics about about their experiences of faith and how it impacts their lives. But Brian was a militant atheist, uh, maybe not militant, may not be wrong, a strong atheist, uh, friends with Penn Gillette and a number of other people in the strong atheist community. Um, And when I asked him at the end of their interview, like, can I, could I pray with you? Brian's like, well, what do you, when you say prayer, what do you mean? Right. And I was like, well, when I say prayer, what I mean is, um, I believe that there's a God of the universe who desires what is good and what is true and what is beautiful in your life. Uh, and I would like for us to stop, um, and ask him to offer you more of what is good and true and beautiful in your life. And his response was what red bellied American capitalist wouldn't want that. (laughs) You know, like, um, he's like, whether or not he believes in it. The type of prayer I was offering him was something that he could easily accept because all I was saying is Brian, I I want what is good for you, and I want a name that I want what is good for you, right? Um, and so, and, and a lot of times in that conversation, what do you mean by prayer? Oftentimes will come up as a part of it, but I don't go and try to just preach the gospel. I try to operate in the specific genius of the way I do. And and there are people out there who are organizers and administrators who are actually really good at organizing things and aligning things, and if they can realize that part of that is them tapping into the fact that God has created an ordered universe and that they are helping people experience that order in what they do, that can fundamentally shift the way that they are able to help people understand the good of who God is and the good of how his church desires them to flourish. There are people out there who do direct works of mercy, who people ask that question, why are you here? And just saying, because I know God loves you, but you don't have to do a big formal kerygma. Like when that right. question is asked, being able to respond directly with that is sufficient. Um, there are all kinds of different gifts and charisms that we have, and learning what they are and knowing that every single one of them has a, both an evangelizing and a healing capacity to them, yeah, frees us up to stop thinking about how do I get that person to church, right? And instead, lets us focus on doing the thing that God has put us here to do and doing it well. So that person starts to experience authentic trust, not trust as a mechanism for let's get you to church. Right. And then that'll lead to curiosity. That curiosity will make them start to ask those questions. And at that point they will start to draw themselves closer to the church guided by the Holy spirit. Uh, You know, so if we even just can get from that trust phase to that curiosity phase, we see a tremendous shift but it's never mediated by me saying, you should be more curious about this. It's mediated by me doing what God has made me to do and letting them start to wonder, what is different about this person? Yeah, and they become how-
1: curious on that interpersonal level. They, they see something in you, and you become the incarnation for them. Right. Right. The incarnation happened, but you become that, that incarnate reality that they can actually meet, they can see, they can talk to. Uh, when the faith, I think, becomes that integrated— when it's, when it's just integrated into every aspect of, of who we are, it's so natural and it does become so much easier to, to share. Um, but that's also knowing knowing your giftedness, knowing what God has done for you and what God wants to do through you. Um, but ultimately that comes down to knowing your, your truest identity. And right. it's weird because once you know your identity, you actually know the identity of everybody else you meet. Right. <laughs> because our identity, the fundamental identity is beloved son, and beloved daughter. Yeah. That's, that's the identity that each of us carries loved by God from eternity and for the purpose of making it there to eternity. Right. Yeah. When we have that, that sense of who we are and, and we're able to allow that to be integrated into everything, then it's easy to talk. It's easy to, uh, to do it. But I think each in our own way when we realize that you're right, it doesn't have to be that I get up on stage and I give a talk it doesn't have to be that I'm the one in front of uh, everybody teaching the class or doing the deep theology. Uh, Although obviously there's a, there's a place for that, right? There there are people who are called and we need that. We need people to say yes to that. Yeah. That's not,
0: that's not the only way to be the evangelist. And here's the thing as parishes, as church communities, we need to be better about identifying that, period, helping inform people in that period. Also identifying that ministerial realities in formal parish ministries are not the same thing. How we're plugging Catholics into every aspect of our wider community should be an intentional choice for the church. Every parish is going to have organizational charisms that it's very dedicated to. Outside of the liturgy and the formation of uh, the old and the young, right, and the the sacramental realities, uh, the acts of mercy within our our communities, the specifics of that have to be to a certain degree discerned organizationally. We will have the normal affects of everything a parish does, but we will have organizational realities that we do also. But everything else, like we rush so quickly to formalize things into ministries that are just like. But what if this is just supposed to be these four or five people that we have just set loose on our community to do whatever they want, in all honesty, without the church getting in the way? Yeah. Like I used to have to tell people all the time who would want to come in and start different ministries, like, I, I love you. I love this for you. Let's talk about how we support you. But let's identify that wanting to be a formal ministry of the church comes with a lot of responsibilities that you just may not want to do. Like it may be far more effective for you to just go out and do this stuff. And that's not because the church is bad, but because there are limits to what you can do formally and ecclesially as a church worker or formal ministry in the world today. Um, and, and lots of times the ministry people want to do, going to do is going to want to exceed that. That's fine. It's not a competition. We, we as, we as parish as church should see that as a win, even if it's not part of the formal ecclesial structure. And that's when I say, clericalism. That's a part of it, right? Like it yeah. is the, the sense of if father hasn't signed off on it and if we don't have our names on a wall in a hallway and a corkboard that no one's going to pay attention to, like we're yeah. not a formal ministry yeah. and we're not important. Do you um, have any
1: idea how little I want to have to sign off on everything? <laughs> I, am, I am so, so much. If you have an idea and you want to run with it, I we have something here uh, at the parish. A, a woman came to me recently. She wanted to just start something, getting people together to cook and to to form community over food. And I said, go for it. She says, can I use the hall? Yes. As long as it's available, you can use it. I'm happy to come and get fed because I like the food, but I don't feel like I need to be, I don't need to be the one signing off on on the content or the menu or or anything else. I'm just happy that that they want to do it. I would love it. I would love it if more people just wanted to go out and, and share the faith without needing... Or feeling like my approval was was necessary, so here's here's my question then on that. And I know that you don't know my parish reality, so it's an unfair question. But I'm going to go ahead. You're, you're on my podcast, so I get to ask the unfair questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> is that need for pastor approval? Is that a function of learned behavior over the course of of the church's life? Like we always go to father and ask for for that permission, or am I not making it clear enough that I want people to go out and feel like they can proclaim the gospel and I want to provide opportunities for them here at the parish where they can be formed or, or am I, am I holding on to too much control? Again, I know that you don't know the actual situation of my parish life or anything like that. So it's a totally unfair question, but I'd like you to answer it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the answer is probably both, right? Yeah. Like, uh, certainly there's, there's years of institutional realities that reinforce that, um, there are there are some of the failings of the church that reinforce that, right? Like, um, and that, I mean that in the sense of uh, practiced human behaviors that are that live in the institution, not the church uh, as a, as its mystical entity properly. Like that, the difference between those two things, I think, is pretty is pretty well no, at least for us too, But for anyone listening, um, we have poor learned behaviors in the church, and so yeah, the need to go to, to to go to dad and get dad to say this is okay before you go do the thing is. How we, as parents, um, spiritual or in reality, make it clear to our children that we what we want them to check in with us on and what we don't is one of the hardest things that that you learn over the course of however long you are a parent. Right? Um, right. I I don't like for my children. They constantly check in with me on stuff. I'm like, I don't know why you're asking this question, and constantly don't. Something like you absolutely should have been asking me that question, right? Um, but like, what I want my children to always know they they can come to me for, right? Um, yeah. Is is to, yeah. is to is to is to be. This looks different depending on on the the type of father you are, right? Um, is like, do you need to be? Do you need to, Are you struggling and you need encouragement, right? Are you hungry? Do you need to be fed? Are you hurt? Do you need healing? Are you um, are you something gone wrong in our relationship and you need to be forgiven? Like, those are times I always want my kids to know that they can come to me. Um, you know, are you in danger? Do you need me to protect you? I always want my kids to come to me. Um, anything else? <laughs> kind of like, go nuts. Like, go <laughs> go nuts and go be, for me, young people, right? Learning because I have four teenagers. Um, the, uh, like, go nuts and, and learn. It's no, no, we're here for you. Right. And I'm not perfect about that. Uh, But then also knowing how do I how do I help set them up for success in all the other areas of life? That's that's the challenging part. Right. Um, And so for me, like I'm constantly talking to my kids about right now, because because they're all teenagers and the younger older ones and they all want to work or do school or do you know all kinds of different stuff. um, Our conversation is constantly um, how do we help you prepare in this phase of life? what you're called to in the next phase of life right um how do we help you at this moment prepare for what is next um ideally as the parent you just kind of want to be one step ahead and for us like you know as somebody who worked in parish like i was director of evangelization for the last five years i worked in a parish i worked with my pastor to master plan homilies and teaching series to orient the entire church towards here's where we want you to go and the amount of clarity that that brought into everything we did once we got to that point once we were leveraged towards, yeah. we as a, as a staff, as a parish council, um, as as leadership in the parish, we actively pray and discern about where we feel like God is calling our community. And then everything we do is leveraged towards, how do we help you go there? Uh, it just, it freed up so much energy. It created so much clarity. Um, and I, th- I, think, I think the important thing to understand is, like, um, I, as a father, am not a father alone, right? Like, I have a, I have a mother— uh, my wife, who works, who works alongside me to raise our children, but we also have other siblings who are involved in the process, who are able to help provide good input for younger siblings on how to do that. And I think the the vocations are different for a reason, but they're grouped together for strong reasons also too. Like right. understanding as a good father, that a big part of that is saying who are the other people in this community who you are rallying around, who are all helping say where is the place we desire people to go and how are we consistently pointing and preparing them to go to that place, I think is the number one thing because they'll start checking in less because things are clear because they know what's expected of them because they have a vision for where they want to go. And they're going to just start going there to the point where you're not Like you're gonna be like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Do I need to do I need to start slowing us down sometimes, right? And that's that's the sweet spot, right? When you're able as a as a as a parish leadership team, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a priest, but like you need to watch it when you're when you're watching your community start to pick up on your shepherding in a way where you're like, oh man, now I got to pull on the reins sometimes because they're just like going, and and like that's not even a bad thing. Like it's not a bad thing to say, oh, like slow down a little bit. We're not quite there yet. Like if you, if you want to do that, you can, but like, let's, let's get, you know, before we start doing, going big with it, let's get everybody else there. Um, Those are, those are the best moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and we don't ever get to do that as a church because we're, we're trying to do the opposite right now, manage shrinkage a lot of the time. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's, it's such, it's can be such a challenge, but I think and let me be very clear people will say like how do you get so much done how do you do all these things da, 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 that i when i when I, you know when i'm with all the different things i've done over the years and i was like oh here's here's a real easy answer i could have been a better father so let me not pretend like i am an expert in what it means to be a father because it is so easy to let your job or ministry work or other things overtake the good of your own family It's a, it's a yeah. very real part of things it doesn't mean i was a bad father which means I can easily identify when people are like, I don't know how you get so much done. I was like, I can tell you exactly how, Um, you know, and it was a constant call out to me to be in check about those things. And so, um, so let me not present myself as, as excellent at all these things, just aware that they are good and that they are beautiful when they happen and when everything's firing properly. That's awesome. Uh, That's, that's fantastic. Cause I,
1: yeah, I, I think that you you've, captured parish life so well just the the challenge of, of parish life and trying to do it well trying to uh to provide things but we so easily just get caught up in in the on-campus things the, the stuff that we're going to do in-house and sometimes we try to do more in-house than is really necessary um and so we end up putting a lot of energy i think into that stuff but we we don't really prepare people for the, the going out and then we wonder why we don't have more people coming in right uh yeah. I think some yeah. of my, my my most productive days as a, as a pastor have actually been days that I, I wasn't in the office, but had a series of errands that I had to run. So I was in town and like going from this store to this office, like I had to drop something off to a parishioner who worked downtown. And there was a store downtown that I was going to buy something from also. So I, just in, in the walking from from the two places, running into like five or six parishioners who were also running errands at the same time, like- such a productive day, um, yeah. and then getting in line for for lunch because there's a another, uh, not a prisoner but a, a very devout Catholic who I know who owns a restaurant and who said come come get a sandwich. So I, I walked in to get a sandwich, and this guy walked in and said, "Are you a Catholic priest?" I said, "Yeah," and started asking me questions about the faith, like right there in line for a sandwich, and it was it was great. I went home fe- that day feeling like. This is this is where I need to send people. This is where where we need to be is is out there, uh, doing this. And at the same time, I know that there is such a need for me to be here, like in the church. There's one day I was literally changing candles in the church, and this guy walked in, and he, he just came up and he said, "I haven't set foot in this church in in fifty years," and I said, "Well." nice to meet you i'm I'm father sam welcome back and he proceeded to tell me this story of being a victim of sexual abuse and just all these these brutal things that had happened to him and he's gone past the church many times and that day worked up the courage to walk in and you want to talk about just uh, one of those moments where god was putting me precisely where he needed me to be for that man not not for myself but but for that man and I mean, I've carried him in my heart for a long time since then because I think back to, yeah, in that moment I was able to simply be a priest who was able to pray with him and and receive his his trauma and his his sadness, um, and and to let him know that I I cared about what he had been through. It was, yeah. So I, I guess I, I look at that and I say there's there's this. Constant, and I think this is just the the truth in the life of the church in general. There's there's always sort of this tension, but where am I supposed to be?
0: Yeah, but and I the would say we're supposed to be everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, but I would say also like even this, like the the but the commonality in those two things, right? The the thing that we can see as the point of consolation is simply be in the place that God desires you to be, which seems like such a gross simplification, I know, but it is literally the truth. The yeah. tension exists, right? But the if tension is becoming anxiety, we can identify like this is not God. If, God if, if, if the tension becomes should I be doing this or should I be doing this? That, that's a that's a false tension that's an anxiety, right? Like the 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 true tension is like, God, you have me in the middle of this yeah. thread and you're going to pull me where you want me to go. this is this is the tension I'm on. I'm not being pulled between two things. I'm being guided exactly where you want me to go, and I should discern. You know, maybe not on a day-to-day basis, but potentially, like when you wake up in the morning, right, by the virtue of your your schedule and your calendar, am I being present to the fact that God has put me in this place today? And am I being receptive to the divine appointments that He has created for me? Whether I am on site at the parish, whether I am out in the community, um, am I open to those divine appointments? Yeah, because I'll have I'll have life-changing conversations by the point with the people, person who just showed up to mass this day, or who's out in the park outside the church, you know, after we're coming out of mass just as readily as I will in the, in the game store where I'm playing a game with somebody who was like, you know, what does everybody do? And I mentioned kind of a little bit about my job and he's like, I've always had a bunch of questions for Catholics. And then we have this great long conversation over beer and board games, right? Like those two things are, are equally holy. And a big part of it's like me responding to this guidance of God for that day where he desires me to be. And there is a tension to that, but again, it's not an either, or it's something that holds me in the middle of it. And again, if I'm experiencing an anxiety of, I have to choose between those two things. Don't, we have to listen on any given day on where those divine appointments are going to come up and be open and receptive when they do, because there's a lot of people who they could have been in that, they could have been out with those and seen those pressures and been like, Oh, I'm too busy. I got to go. I got to get to the next thing. Right. Or when that that person walks in, I've been like, oh, the church isn't really open right now. <laughs> like, I mean, like, these are things that will happen on a regular basis with with people who who live in church world. You're so focused on the next thing, right? That you can't stop and receive the divine appointment that God has for you. And I think, you know, for you yeah. you and listening to those two stories, like for me, it just sounds like you were exactly where God wanted you to be in all of those situations. And that should be the consolation we take from those. Absolutely. And and that was what I what I realized was that in, in those
1: moments, that's that's where God needed me. On those days and in those times, um, and I guess it, that's kind of the maybe that's the motivation for the examination of conscience, right? So, yeah. what am I doing sitting at my desk uh, in in the office? Uh, and am I am I actively seeking those divine appointments? And I think that that's something not just for me as a priest, but I think I think anybody anybody who's, who's trying to live the Catholic faith can ask that question. Am I looking for those opportunities where I can, I can go out? not so much, uh, maybe looking for the opportunities the wrong way, but am I, am I listening for the, for the inspiration? Right. Cause if I'm looking for the opportunity, much like when we go looking for signs from God, we're going to find signs wherever we, wherever we look yeah. like, am I, am I open to that prompting that, Hey, right now this conversation needs to happen, or this is a, this is a worthwhile thing to enter into. Um, to, to be present, to be able to, to share and to maybe just by that encounter, the door cracks open a little bit in their heart, just by that, that one moment where, where you talked to that person, you, you, you encountered that person, you're sitting, playing board games with them or, uh, or playing, uh, the, the RPG. And they know that they can ask you the question. And in that, in that simple knowledge that they can ask the question, the door cracks open they haven't walked through yet and they might not want to walk through for a long time but the door is open and before it wasn't right and that's huge progress right that's huge progress in evangelization that's huge progress in in the life of faith
0: and and also like i'm <clears throat> i'm not a fan of um like i'm just planting seeds as an excuse for never bearing fruit uh but Taking taking solace in the fact that what you do creates a an opportunity for other people who come after you is an important part of the deposit of faith. Also, like we know that patience and long suffering and the eternal scope through which God views humanity is an important part of how he brings about the salvation of all his people. Um, like we have to be open to that now again it's not a reason to be like well i'm just planting seeds have i ever seen any fruit come no well if that's the case like fertilize the land like check your seeds like you know look at look at your irrigation practices let's let's see if you're never seeing fruit what the <laughs> what the problem may be <laughs> right. but also knowing like there is a there is a long view to all of these things and like i even think about you like that you know, that interaction with that woman at the door at the deli right like um you just saying like her, her being open enough to say, "I'm always, always nervous when I see priests." And you just yeah. saying like, "Hi, I'm Father Sam." Like that is a beat as a moment. You received that. You didn't. You didn't say, "Well, you don't have to be afraid," right? Which can which can feel like a, a pushback. You just said, "Here is who I am, and let me be present to you as a person in a way that you can receive without expectation," and then moved on. And the next time this person sees a priest, they'll go, like, "Well, like that Father Sam guy seemed..." all right. <laughs> right? Like, he's, he's still maybe, very scary, maybe, but at least he was okay. Maybe I, yeah. Maybe I don't have to be as worried. Um, yeah. you know, and so there, like I said, there's, there's all these small little things. There's all these, these, idiot, these little pieces. And again, it's when I, when I talk, when I do gifts discernment, sermon and charism to sermon with people to us, they seem so mundane when we're, even when we're operating in the beautiful things that God does in our life. Lots of times we don't notice them because they seem normal to us until we start to learn that practice of discernment where we stop and we're mindful of, is that normal for me or for others? Like what God, what might God have been doing in that? Um, you know, what, how, what was my experience during that time? Was I experiencing joy, a peace, a sense of God's presence? what um, was the response something beyond what I would have humanly expected to happen in that moment? Like, those are the things that start to show us over the long haul. Like, where and how is God operating and and what we're doing? But they're still made up of the mundane and normal, seeming like seemingly human, like seemingly solely human moments of our life. Um, but th- we start to see them cascade into more and more. And the more open we become to them, the more God is able to operate through them. And so, um that disposition and that willingness to do the thing, and that openness to the, like you said that listening um is a huge part of, them becoming a more and more regular thing. Yeah. Ah, uh, wow. All right. Tony,
1: I, I really appreciate the time that you've given here. Um, I have one last question for you. It's quick. Yeah. Um, what would you say to priests to say, Father, this is what we as a church need from you? And this is what we can, this is where, where we
0: who are part of the church want to. Want to help and want to see the church grow. Um, maybe twofold. I'll give. I'll give a practical piece of professional advice, and then give something a little broader. Yeah. Uh, one: if you aren't discipling your staff, then no one is. Um, it would be my professional one. Like if you aren't taking the time to make sure the people working on your staff are being discipled, then they're probably not um the likelihood that they are goes down dramatically one of my friends who's a priest up in seattle when he got ordained and he was getting assigned to his first parish asked me for my number one piece of advice Was like disciple your staff and if somebody on your staff is unwilling to be decided like be um discipled by you start talking about whether that's a good long-term position for them um but it's a huge piece for me um uh I think the other major piece of it's a little bit broader and goes into it is um, I know priests are human um, for good or for bad. I know priests are human uh, and you would do well to be okay with the fact that you are and to let your congregation see it. Um, And I say this not in the sense of, um, you know, I think most priests receive extensive training on what is appropriate to share with parishioners and what is not. But I know I, I don't know a priest who doesn't feel somewhat isolated. Um, even priests who live in community um, tend to feel somewhat isolated. Um, and I, at least I, as a, as a parishioner, as a fellow Catholic, I have zero desire for that, for that for you. And I think it's slowly, in some ways, destroying our priesthood. Um, and so in whatever ways you can, in whatever ways you feel comfortable with, your humor your joys, your delights, your vacations, your meals, the good and the bad of all the normal and mundane circumstances of your life, they deserve to be seen by your parishioners. Privacy matters, right? We get that boundary, set healthy boundaries. But being human in front of your congregation is so important to your own health and for them understanding that clericalism is not about getting up on the altar um you are a cleric and they are laity and we are all humans together in this big vast wash that god is using to redeem the entirety of the world and your humanity is a place that god desires to operate that's that's probably it i think does that make sense
1: it it makes a ton (laughs) of sense it makes a ton of sense and i think you're touching on some areas where. Uh, I think especially in terms of our humanity, priests often are, are there's there's a fear if if people know that i'm I'm human, uh, I think it's the same fear that you'd have for in in any other walk of life. I don't think it's unique to priests, but there's always that fear that they people won't like me if they know what I am as a human being, if they know my yeah. humanity. um there's the fear of of crossing boundaries and and is it is it okay for me to share certain things? And and of course we have to have boundaries are good. There 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 there's a reason that we have them. But yeah, to be able to share that humanity, um, because the faith is incarnational. I yeah. think it 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 ties back to the fact that Christ became one of us. He took on our humanity, and if he took on our humanity, it's because he wants us to live fully the gift of our humanity in him. But the only way we're going to live fully the gift of our humanity is if we if we're not afraid of our own humanity, yeah, warts yeah. and all, weaknesses and all, one hundred percent to yeah. be able to to be able to show people that it's it's okay to be human, it's okay to struggle sometimes, and it and it's okay to to like doing things that aren't just praying the rosary and changing candles on the altar, right? Like it's important for people to to know that about their about their priests, um, and I'll, I'll tell you what you have really challenged me with. That idea of discipling staff. Uh, if there's if there's anything that I think I'm I'm not good at as a priest, it's being a manager. Um, it's yeah. being a, a guide to to staff. I think that's the the area that I struggle in the most. Uh, it's the area that I feel least equipped and least comfortable. Um, and it's probably my I, I think it's my biggest weak weakness. Um, and so to just to hear that though, it's it's the truth. <laughs> you're you're speaking the truth to my life. And again, I know that you don't know my parish situation at all, and I'm really grateful that you said it because you spoke directly to me, if, <laughs> if not just to priests in general, like God was using you to speak directly to me in that. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it because it's, it's the truth and I need to hear it. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Tony Vicinda, Catholic beard balm.
0: Uh, what's the, what's the, the game company? give uh, the Game these plus one exp. Yeah, if you go to if you go to catholicbomb.co, co, uh, go check it out. I'll I'll set up a discount code tangent so you can go uh, get some for a ten yes. percent discount. Um, and so uh, I'll go set that up later today. Uh, we're low this on the stock coolest right thing now. that's ever happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're low on stock right now, but we'll 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 have things back in stock at the end of the month in time for Christmas. Also, so tangent will get you ten percent off. Um, and then um catholic uh, catholicbomb then plus one exp. Um, it's a, uh, what we say, it's a weird little brand that multi-classes in tabletop game design, beard and skincare alchemy in the Bardic College of Content Creation. So we make these small, short 30 to 60 page role-playing games are typically very rules light. Um, they all almost all have a different focus. Um, so, if you're like, "I don't like fantasy or I've never tried a role playing game, there's a lot of great ones to get into. Uh, we also make a lot of content um, that uh, online, so a lot of the games that we make, you can go on and watch how to play or learn how to play on a short video. So if you're if you just want to get into it, want to check it out. Uh, it's a it's a great thing to do. I'll make it I'll make a tangent discount code over there also too. Um, the, um, uh, but just just so everybody knows like, That is a secular space. Like I said, I'm very clear there about the fact that I'm Catholic, but uh, we have a lot of LGBTQ members of our team. So if that's going to be hard for you, uh, then, you know, consider whether it's going to be a comfortable place for you to operate also, too. Uh, But it is a place where God has called me and put me in, and I I could not imagine being happier uh, than in the middle of that community also, too. So um, come check it out if that sounds good to you um, or pass if it doesn't awesome. Tony, thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. This
1: is The Tangent. I'm Father Sam Kachuba with my guest, Tony Vicinda. God bless you.